Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. It's great to have Randy and Rose Martin with us right back here in the middle of the building. Uh, he was pastor of, of uh, Richard and Kathy Bunn at Calvary Baptist in Roanoke Rapids for many years. Welcome to our services this morning as well. And uh, we, we had know several common people and uh, uh, got a chance to talk with them. And uh, thank you for uh, we are thankful that you invested in Richard and Kathy, and I guess you taught them everything they know, but uh, they are fantastic. I told them that at the door last week, I said, if we could just clone you and uh, have uh, you know, uh, 20 more couples just like you uh, investing in people and uh, building relationships, I uh, did a fantastic job, and uh, we are so grateful and thankful for them. Mark chapter 9, we're going to begin in verse 14. Last Sunday, we were looking at the the... Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was transfigured before his disciples. I wonder this morning, are you living in the faith dimension? Basically, we live in a three-dimensional world, and, and we, we live in a, uh, uh, with dimensions of time, past, present, and future. There's, uh, uh, in terms of space, there's height, there's width, there's depth, and, and for years... Uh, all we had was, uh, you go back and watch some of the old movies, it's, it's two-dimensional. Nowadays, you can watch 3D movies, you can watch movies, that, and it's like you put on these glasses. If you've ever watched a 3D movie, it, it's quite crazy as things are jumping off the screen at you. And it, it's such a, a cool experience to watch some of these new movies that are coming out. In math and physics, there's a theoretical fourth dimension in which time and space are united. And... I know it sounds like an introduction to Rod Serling, uh, The Twilight Zone. My favorite, my family's favorite ride at uh, Disney World is the Tower of Terror. And the Tower of Terror is uh, it's this elevator ride, and you get in this uh, uh, abandoned elevator, and you're going up, and all of a sudden the elevator just drops. And if you've ever, anybody else ever ridden this ride? All right, it's our family's favorite ride. All right, Tower of Terror. If you don't, if you ever go to Hollywood Studios, uh, it's worth the, the wait in line to ride this ride uh, because I'm telling you, it, it's unforgettable. And watch out for that uh, elevator drop. It'll get you every time. Uh, our kids will scream and scream. In fact, I think the twins were just old enough to get on and were absolutely terrified. Rode it and, and got back in line and rode it a third time and a fourth time. And you know, We, we enjoy uh, torturing ourselves at, at amusement parks. But the Bible teaches us that there's an invisible world out there that in which things that we cannot see, that it exists. And uh, it's called a spiritual world. There's angels at work. There's demons at work. And, and all around us, it is called the faith dimension. We talk about living by faith this morning. It requires faith to trust in something we cannot see, to trust in a God who sent his son 2,000 years ago, folks. And we're trusting in something we can't see. But folks, it's there. It's very real. In fact, this morning, if, if we were to turn on the radio uh, in your car on the way to church, uh, you could listen to things. You can't see the radio waves, but they're existing. And if you could go onto YouTube or Facebook, you could also sit here live in this room, but you could watch me on uh, our live stream right now, and you could see it. You don't know exactly all the details of how all of that works, but uh, maybe there's people that are way smarter than us that understand all that, but it happens, and it's part of a world that exists that you can't see. The Bible teaches us that th in this present world, we can see, we can taste, we can hear, we can smell, we can touch. 
But there's also a, another dimension out there in which we can't see or taste or hear. It thinks that it's beyond the human eyes that can experience. It shouldn't be too hard to understand that in this building, all we're taking things by faith and trusting when you sit down in that chair that it's going to hold you up. We, when we drive out of the church parking lot on the Tintin, we're trusting that the person that's going to pass us on Tintin Road or on 401 or soon to be 540 behind us, as you get out on the road, you're trusting that person is not under the influence of alcohol or drugs and that you're going to drive past them and, and get to your destination. The same thing is true spiritually. There's a faith dimension where spiritual warfare takes place. If you aren't aware of it, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means that we aren't uh, tuned in to see it or hear it. If a blind person says he can't see a rainbow, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It means he just can't see it. It just means he can't perceive it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, it says, We look not on the things that are seen, but to the things that are what, church? Unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are what? Eternal. What's he saying? He says, we spend a lot of our lives focusing on material things in this world that are temporary. They're fleeting. Remember your first car that you had and how excited you were to have a, a set of four wheels that would hopefully crank. You know, most of us had a, a clunker when we started off and, and you, you were so excited, but today it's probably in a junkyard somewhere. I mean, the thing we were so excited, we could not wait to get that first car is now no longer in existence. Folks, Jesus Christ came and it takes a, an element of faith to trust in something we cannot see to believe that Jesus Christ is able to save us. In our text this morning, we see Jesus, his disciples had just come off the Mount of Transfiguration. When they came down from the mountain, they entered a scene of spiritual warfare. And it, uh, it was a father that was desperately seeking help for his tormented son. The demons were, were, were seeking to destroy him. We're going to pick up the story in Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. When they came to the disciples... They saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. He asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever he seizes him, it throws him down and foams and, and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. He answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it, it, he came and cast him into the fire, into the water to destroy him. But if you could do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, I can't, if, I, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes, verse 23. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out. Of him and never enter into him again. 
After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it, it came out of the boy. And the, the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Listen to this. There's, there's power in what he's saying. He says, they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. He was teaching his disciples, saying to him, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. We're looking this morning at living by faith. Let's pray right now that the Holy Spirit of God would speak to each of our hearts prepare us for the word. Heavenly Father, would you speak right now? God, will we set aside any distractions around us and focus fully on your word and what you want to accomplish in our hearts and lives this morning? We'll give you the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. All of God's people said, amen. amen. 2018 Pew Research released a study about religious landscape of America. I'm sure we'll probably see one coming out uh, in the next few months or the next within the next year because so much has taken place during the pandemic uh, in every uh, realm, but especially the, the religious realm. Most news outlets declare that Christianity was on the decline, and, but the news was not all bad. In fact, uh, it said that during that time, the number of Americans who call themselves Christians shrank from 78% to 71%, which is a, a sharp decline. According to the survey, the number of Americans who claim to be born again rose from 34% to 35%. While the mainline denominations membership shrank by several million, the number of evangelical Protestants, that's us, actually grew by two million followers. A born again Christian is someone who lives out there in the faith dimension. They place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Not works, not plus anything. It's Jesus Christ alone. We accept Jesus by faith. And we examine the, the dramatic encounter, what's going to take place here in our text. It required living in the faith dimension. In fact, there's a truth here. Jesus says all things are possible for one who believes. All things are possible for one who believes. I want us to say that together, this key truth. Jesus said together, all things are possible for one who believes. All things are possible. Do you believe that this morning? But see, we're constantly facing areas of, our, of, the, of this life that requires us to have faith in God alone. We cannot trust in our, our finances, our health our jobs, the Lord knows our government, all of the things that are happening around us today, we cannot trust, but we can have complete confidence and faith in Jesus alone. We're learning to live by faith. This morning we see faith embraces a cycle of worship and work. Faith embraces a cycle of worship and work. Jesus, Peter, James, and John had just come down from the mountain. They had experienced God's glory on display. They had worshipped the Lord together. But let's just look at the, I want you to see a, a famous painting here on the screen by Raphael. It's a, it's a famous painting of the transfiguration of, of Jesus. And 
There are twin miracles that are happening in this painting, if you can see it. We see Jesus uh, here in the clouds, and uh, we see Elijah and Moses that we talked about that also appeared there with them. On the, uh, and we've got the disciples there on the bottom. They're, they're, they can't even look. The brightness of Jesus is so great during the transfiguration. But if you look on the bottom, Raphael captured the scene in the valley. There are nine disciples on the bottom uh, of this painting, and they're pointing over at the tortured boy here on, on the right side of the picture. They see a, a father who's distraught. His son is, is struggling. He's dealing with all of these demons that are tormenting his body and trying to destroy his, his life. And so there's two different scenes. Some are pointing at Jesus. Some are pointing at the boy. They're, it's like a, a caught between the heavenly and the earthly. They're caught between worshiping God and dealing with the, the, the struggles that people are having in this life and in this world. He's desperate for someone to help his son. And Raphael captured brilliantly the contrast between the glorious Mount of Transfiguration and the troubled valley of the world below. All of the struggles that people are facing here in this life. It leads us to a couple observations about worship and about work. We celebrate God's glory on the mountaintop of worship. We celebrate the goodness of God. We gather on Sundays. One of our core values is celebrating the goodness of God. When we worship, when you come to church, we want to lift up and exalt the name of Jesus above all else. And so what happens is we're saying, I'm taking time out of my schedule, the first day of the week, the day that Jesus rose from the grave, we're celebrating the goodness of God corporately. And folks, that's a mountaintop experience. In fact, it's the highlight of my week as I gather for worship with the saints of God and, and get to see Jesus' glory on display, get to see what God is doing and transforming lives. And I love a good mountaintop experience. I love going to the mountains and looking out and seeing the beauty of creation. There's a picture on the screen of our church staff back in February on our staff retreat, and we're on top of a mountain. You look behind us, there's a river, there's the mountains off in the distance, and we got along as a, as a staff to, to get on our knees and to seek God and to pray and, and, and to cast vision and talk about what it is that we believe God is calling us to do as a church. And many of the things that we'll be talking about during the month of September and October as a church are things that were born out of those meetings of praying and seeking the heart of God. And I love those mountaintop experiences. When I'm standing on a mountain, you can see how big God is and his world is. And you can, there's places you can see multiple states up on top of the mountain. But folks, also it reminds us how small I am. How small I am in comparison of how big God is and how much he cares about me. And folks, we celebrate God's glory on that mountain. For Peter, James, and John, it's truly a mountaintop experience to see him, Christ, in all of his glory. Peter wanted to build three uh, shrines and stay there and just, just worship. And <laughs> Jesus said, no, we're not doing that. We're, we're, that's not the whole point of this. It's not just to, just to stay there, but it, worship God. But folks, we must go back down to the valley. It's in the valley that we find hurting people in the service of Jesus. As we begin to serve Jesus, we find people who have needs, genuine struggles in their life. And 
if we find hurting people in the valley of service. The mountaintop is sweet, but as we commune with Jesus, we've got to return back to earth, so to speak. Think about it. You have to go to work tomorrow. You can't stay here forever. You have to go to school this week. Some are like, oh, dear Jesus, you know, <laughs> beam me up, take me on out of this place. But uh, that's why we're praying for you because we know it's, it's a tough thing and they're all smiling and laughing. They might be crying by Friday, but you know, you, you, you come to work to worship, but then on Monday you go to work. You go back into the, the marketplace. You go into your schools this week. You're going to be called to be a light for Jesus Christ in your school, in your neighborhood, in your place of business. And we gather on that Sunday mountaintop experience, but during the week we go home, we go to our neighborhoods, our jobs, our schools. We find hurting people that are desperately in need of a touch from heaven. Desperately in need of a touch or an encounter with Jesus. In the last few weeks, our, my next door neighbor found out on, on July 1st that she has terminal brain cancer. There are times you don't even know what to say. 57 years old and the most deadly form of brain cancer you can find. She's been in the hospital for two weeks now. Yesterday I, was, I stepped out on my front porch and I saw her husband outside and can you come talk to me for a second? Over the last month, I've had more opportunities to pray with this family than in the seven years we've been next door neighbors. To talk about God, to believe God. And he looked at me and says, can you pray with me right now? I'm telling you, we held hands right there in his backyard and just prayed for God, for his healing, for his power, for his strength. For his grace. And I'm watching a man weeping who is, knows. He said, I don't know, but I might only have a, a few more months with my wife. We've been together for 37 years. And I'm telling you, God gives grace. That's where he's called us to minister. And folks, ministry is, is very messy. Ministry is painful. Ministry is, is filled with heartache, with, with brokenness, with, with pain, and with suffering. And Folks, it's a difficult road. And it's, My experience as a pastor is I talk to people all the time. People want to stay on the mountaintop experience, folks, but that's not where we live. That's not where people are. They're in the valley, and they're struggling every single day. Many of you can give testimony of, of battling cancer or a loss of job or broken homes and and broken families and wayward children. You go around and folks, we all have struggles. And it requires faith to believe that God is able. And even in moments where he doesn't answer it according to our plan, and folks, we're, we've all been there. If God would have answered that prayer, aren't you thankful sometimes for the unanswered prayer? Uh, I think Joey was talking about that was a, a country song, you know. Uh, thankful for unanswered prayer. But the reality is sometimes... We're thankful God didn't answer those prayers. We would not be where we're at today if God had answered those prayers. Woo, amen, let's get a witness right here. But folks, the reality is, is Jesus Christ is able. If we'll believe, he is more than able to heal, to, to restore, to, to transform our lives. And folks, 
There are people that uh, want to stay in the mountaintop of worship. I've also known other Christians who never leave the valley of work. They're always serving, 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 and they never actually take time to worship. They never take time to be restored and refueled and refilled and, and, and experience the power of God. And they're always doing, doing, doing. And folks, there's got to be a healthy balance of worship and work. There's got to be a healthy balance this morning of learning to experience the fullness of God and to praise and worship and exalt His name. And there's got to be also a healthy balance of serving and getting into the trenches where people are actually living and ministering to people in our city and our world. We must maintain that cycle of both worship and work. But we see, secondly, faith engages a spiritual warfare. In verse 17, it says, It comes to the devil. Many Christians have a misguided, misguided Star Wars theology. They're looking at, at the devil and they see in Star Wars land there's a mystical energy that permeates the galaxy called the Force. There's the good side of the Force and there's the dark side of the Force. And some people just say, well, you know, Satan's just a dark force. No, he is powerful. He is demonic. And folks, he is doing everything he can to destroy the work of God. He will destroy your kids, your family. He will destroy this church. He'll destroy our nation. He's doing everything he can. In fact, John 10, 10 says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I am come that they may have life and have it, what church? Abundantly. He wants us to experience the abundant life. If Satan has his way, He'll steal your joy. He'll rob you of peace and security. He'll kill your self-esteem, your faith, your hope. He will destroy your mind, your marriage, your family. He'll destroy this church. He only comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. It's important to point out that not every physical illness is caused by demonic control. And in the, in the, in the, in the, in the scriptures... Many times people would always just assume because someone was facing a, a trial, well, what have they done wrong? They must not be right with God. And that's not always the case, folks. But Satan here was taking, it was trying to destroy this boy. The agony these demons had induced on his life, they were trying to cause him to, to fall into the fire, to fall into the water and drown. The, the scriptures tell us that our modern world would write this off and just say, oh, that's just magic. It's, it's make-believe. But the presence of demons is a real and active force, in fact, in our world today. We see, lastly, faith expects God to do the impossible. Here's a, a, a father, as you saw in that depiction of Raphael's picture, there was desperate. God, do something. Jesus, if anybody can, you can. You can transform my son's life. The scene of chaos, Jesus pulls the father and the tormented son away from the crowd so he could talk to them. And in this counter, we find three principles. Sometimes the church fails to help people in need. This is a tough point because it's a reflection on us. As the body. Sometimes we fail. The father complained to Jesus. He says, I took my boy to your disciples for them to heal him. And 
They didn't get it done. You can only imagine Andrew and say, in the name of Jesus, go out. Nothing happens. He had seen Jesus do that before. <laughs> why, did he, why did he go out like he did for the demoniac of Gadara? Andrew steps up, hold on, I'm all right with God. Out! Nothing happens. And one by one, the disciples line up and they're trying to cast out this demon. And sometimes, folks, people come to church and they're like, well, if I could just come to church, all my problems are going to go away. If I just go to church, I will experience, I'll just have, every day will be a mountaintop experience. And folks, that's not reality. And sometimes, unfortunately, the church does not meet your need. Sometimes we can't heal every situation. But folks, Jesus can. Jesus restores. Jesus transforms our lives. And folks, the church is a body of, uh, the body of Christ, but we're comprised of fallen, broken, sinful, imperfect people. And I know for some of you, that whole bubble has just burst for you because you thought we were all perfect. And you thought this morning you came here, you were the only one that was all screwed up. No, we are all messed up. The Word of God says we are all going our own way and we're desperately in need of a Savior to transform our lives. When we see we can admit our lack of faith to Jesus, the Father didn't have perfect faith. He had a weak faith. In verse 23, he says, Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. All things are possible. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know what? There are Christians all day long that, man, we know what the word of God says. We, we believe it. We've trusted him to save us. And somehow we don't think he can set us free from addiction. Somehow we don't think he can restore our broken home. He can't, somehow we don't think he can help our financial crisis and realize this morning Jesus Christ is there to transform us admit our lack of faith he says if you can all things are possible for one who believes maybe that's where you're at this morning you're struggling just to believe maybe like this father you you have a loved one who's suffering and you want to trust God for a miracle and it's okay for her to say to Jesus, I believe Jesus, but I'm struggling. I've got so many fears. I've got so many doubts. I've got so many struggles and just understanding how you're going to put this all back together in your time. We see lastly, Jesus can release us from that spiritual bondage. Trust me, you can believe in Jesus. This boy was under demonic control for most of his life by malicious spirit since he was a little boy and Jesus commanded the spirit to leave and to never come back with one final convulsion the spirit obeyed Jesus and left the boy the boy was so exhausted he was he looked like he was dead but Jesus lifted him up and sent him on his way and I wish there had been a follow-up to Raphael's painting that showed the boy walking and leaping and praising Jesus going thank you Jesus thank you I mean, uh, he, his legs were all twisted, his eyes were dazed, he was foaming at the mouth, he was demon-possessed, and here we see someone who is completely free to worship 
Jesus. Say, Pastor, what's the application? I'm glad you asked. Do you need to be set free from some bondage or burden today? Do you need to be set free from some bondage or burden today? It might be a sick child or a broken marriage. It might be a sick heart or an empty checkbook. Do you hear Jesus saying, bring your problem to me? Cast your burden at my feet. Trust me, I am more than able to heal, to save, to transform, to change your life. He sees your need. He sees, he sees your cares. He cares about the things of, that are a problem to you. Will you cast your care upon him today? The word of God tells us he cares for us. In fact, in John 8, 34, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free. Indeed. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're in that valley. You're struggling. Life has dealt you a series of difficult blows. Jesus is the answer. He's the one that will give you victory. He's the one that has victory over death, hell, and the grave. And there are two worlds. There are two dimensions. The physical world, it's everything we can see and touch, but there's another world, a, a spiritual world, a faith world. That faith dimension is where we focus on the things that are spiritual in nature. I wonder where your heart is this morning. Have you ever placed your faith and trust alone in Jesus Christ for salvation? Because He's the only one that can save and transform our life. He's the only one that can give us victory over all of the, the demonic forces of this world. He's the only one that can heal us, put our brokenness back together and do something supernatural through us. C.S. Lewis said this, he says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Aren't you thankful for that? The world's not my home. We are just pilgrims traveling through. Those of us that know Christ as our Savior, Jesus is preparing a place for us. The brokenness of this world, folks, one day the chapter is going to close. That final door is going to close. And I'm thankful my forever home is settled in heaven because of what Jesus Christ has done. We're made for another world. This world will never satisfy us. So live by faith and you will find the presence, the peace, and the power of Jesus is as close as the mention of his name. Heavenly Father, would you speak to our hearts this morning?